0: And for your reading there, if you, you want to just check to make sure that that's biblical, it is. Read Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10. You have 1 through 9, 1 through 8 is the by grace through faith. And then I think round about verse 10, you have had, not only has God given us faith, He's given us good works <laughs> to, um, to live out the faith that we profess to have. Okay, w- what are we going to do this morning? Let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 11. One more sermon in our Ezekiel series, and it will be tonight. We're going to look at Ezekiel 47, and, and then we're going to have a series in the Psalms in the evening, and specifically Messianic Psalms. Acts chapter 11, I'll read from... 25 to 30. Hear the perfect word of our perfect God. He, Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day, the Christian Sabbath. We... I pray, Lord God, that we would commemorate your satisfaction of the Father's justice, your victory over the, your, the grave, your ascension into heaven, your session at the right hand of glory, and your promise to come again on the last day to judge the living in the end and to usher in us into the eternal estate. Have mercy upon me, Lord, as your herald. I pray the words of this sermon would be the words of your scripture. Be with me even in my, my countenance, my tone, and for all of us, that we would have the requisite faith. If anyone has come in here today and heretofore, they've not been given new eyes, new ears, a new heart. May today be the day, Holy Spirit, that you set them free in Christ. Amen. There are a number of things in this particular passage. It's a relatively short passage, but there are some interesting things, particularly the prophecy by this particular fellow named Agabus, if that's what you want to look at, uh, maybe in a future sermon, but we're not going to look at that this, this morning, I have, um, I have a more simpler uh, theme in mind. From today's passage, I have a couple of things that I want us to consider. I want us to consider the, the, the union and the communion that believers have with other believers. And when I use the term communion, I mean friendship. So the Bible does teach us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are united to Jesus and that we're also united to other Christians in a spiritual, mystical, but a very real way and that we enjoy a friendship with them. And then this passage will give us an expression of that union and communion, Christian to Christian, in the practice of good works. And so in this passage, passage, you'll think, well, I, at least I see one good work, is the, the brothers in Antioch, these Gentile believers, are sending money, relief, to the, 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 the brothers in Judea for the famine. So that's a good work. That is a good work, and we'll talk about it, hopefully. But there's another good work that occurs prior to that. Barnabas and Paul teach these new believers for one whole year uh, things of the Lord about Christ. That's a good work. It's an expression of the friendship that Christians have with other Christians, It testifies to the realness of our faith in Jesus, the realness of our love to Christ, and our love to the brothers. And with Paul and Barnabas, they they gave the gift of their teaching, and with these believers in Antioch, they gave the gift of their material support insofar as they had had ability, and they gave it to the poorer brothers in Judea. And so the, the, the communion and the union that we enjoy as Christians, and then expressed in uh, good works. Now, what I want to do is, in a logical order, I want to look at the source of that union and that friendship that believers have with other believers. Because if you've been raised in the church, or you've been in any kind of church more than, say, like a week, and someone talks about the friendship that other believers have with other believers, you may think, well, Pastor... I've been through a few church splits in my time, and I know Brother Bobby doesn't like Sister Sally very much, and what are you talking about? My purpose is to talk about the the union and the friendship that believers. I make a distinction between a believer and a mere professor. I can bring a cat into this church, and it doesn't make the cat a believer. So, if you tell me I know lots of Christians that hate lots of Christians... I, I know that that's true. But the Bible says if you hate your brother and say you love God, you're a liar and the love of God is not in you. You just have a name that you're a Christian but you're dead while you live. And so I'm very keen to say believers. So let's look at, in a logical order, the source or um, the root of the, of the union and the friendship we have with other Christians. And um, that comes from, I will tell you, it flows out of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are united to other Christians. These Christians in Antioch were united to one another, and they were united to the Judean Christians because they were united to Jesus Christ. Now here's the question. When did we become united to Jesus Christ? When were you joined to Jesus? How did your union with Jesus Christ, how did it occur? When did it occur? Were you born joined to the Lord Jesus Christ such that you would have union with other Christians? Now for us, as conscientiously Protestant Christians, um, we maintain the principle of sola scriptura. The Bible will teach us what God wants us to know doctrinally, and what practices God requires of us in our, in our life, and so we go back to the source to the Bible. The Bible will tell us, were we born in union with Jesus, and thus in union with other professing Christians? If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, I, I will try not to be lopsided in my sermon. The Bible will tell us that Adam was the very first representative of man, and without going too far afield, he was created in the estate of innocence and integrity. He had no sin and yet God created him mutable. He was perfect, but mutable. He could defect, and he did. And so when Adam fell from his estate of innocency, as he was the representative of all human beings that descended from him via natural generation, natural birth, which is excluding Jesus, obviously, he lost for himself and for all of those descended from him, he lost, Adam did, our union and our friendship with God. There is a a book called The New England Primer. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. So when Adam sinned against God, he lost the union that he had with God and the friendship that flowed out of that union, not just for himself and Eve, but for all those that came after him. And in the place of that walking with God in the cool of the day, the sweet communion, in the place of that came what we know experimentally, sadly, which is sin and misery. People come into this world crying and they go out of the world crying. That's because of Adam's fall. So Adam lost for himself and for, for us our union and our friendship with God. So we are not born united to God. When you think of the expulsion from the garden in Genesis chapter 3, what did that teach us? Even by, by picture, it showed us that we are no longer friends with God, and he is no longer friends with us, as it were, and that we no longer enjoyed a friendship. That he is holy, his eyes are too pure to look upon sin with favor, and he expelled man uh, from his presence. So physically, we are not born united to God and Christ. And I know for some of us, maybe in these kind of churches, that might not be such a mind-blower, I came to Saving Faith later in my life at 26 years old and I asked an old man who was mentoring me in the faith, I said, how can God send some of his children to heaven and some of his other children to hell? And the older minister said, God will send none of his children to hell. I said, well, you clearly told me and the Bible clearly says that some people will go to hell. Some people will go to hell. And he said, they're not his children. Only the people that have been reunited to him by saving faith in Jesus Christ born again have a right to be called the sons and the daughters of God John chapter 1 10 through 10 through 13 and the other people are children of the devil children of darkness, children of disobedience even as the rest this is a mind blower to me so there are folks I guarantee you who say everybody is joined to God everybody, it doesn't matter your religion beloved that's not true The Bible teaches us that when Adam fell, we sinned and fell in him as our representative. And so we're not born united to Jesus Christ. So birth doesn't do it. Now, there are some Christians that say, okay, what affects the union is water baptism. The church of my youth taught that. Um, Baptismal regeneration. I reject that. I know there are Protestants that teach it as well. I, I reject that. The Bible does not teach us that water baptism unites us savingly, spiritually to God in Christ. How do I know that? The Old Testament counterpart of the New Testament sacrament of baptism is circumcision. Read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. The whole lot, almost the entire lot of military age men that came out of um, uh, the, the wilderness, died in the wilderness. And they were joined to the church formally by circumcision But they were not joined to Christ savingly. They had an evil heart of unbelief. So the circumcision joined them formally to the church, but not savingly to God in Christ. They were unbelievers. You say, well, I require a New Testament text. I'll give you a New Testament text. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 was baptized. He professed faith in Jesus. He was baptized. And then he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit with money, And what did the Apostle Peter say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a baptized person? You're still in the gall of your bitterness. You're an unbeliever. You're separated from the life of God in Christ. You have no union. You have no communion. That's Acts chapter 8. What affects the union, the joining us to the Lord Jesus Christ such that we would be joined to other believers? It is the spirit gift of faith. Let me read a passage to you. This comes from the book of Ephesians. And listen to this. As regards to being separate from God in Christ and then joined to God in Christ, as being separate from Christians and then joined to Christians, which is what we're looking at thematically. (coughs) Ephesians 2, 12. Remember at that time, Gentile, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's a person who's not a believer. But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He made both groups into one, Jew and Gentile. He broke down the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, So that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By having put to death the enmity, he came and preached peace to you who are far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, Gentiles." but now you're a fellow citizen in the Israel of God. So the reason these Gentile-ish Antiochian Christians love the Judean Christians and they show it with their gifts is because in Christ they're joined to God in Christ and likewise they're joined to one another. So we are instantly joined to Christ the moment we first believe in him as our Lord and our Savior and as our sin atoner. And the moment we are joined to Jesus Christ, what is the baptismal formula? In the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. We are united to God in Christ by the gift of faith. And the moment we are joined to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that we are, and I'm going to stress the word spiritually, and I'm going to have to use the word mystically, and Mystically, which means it's mysterious to me. It may not be mysterious to you, but it is to me. We are spiritually, mystically, and really not only joined to the Godhead in Christ, but to other people that are joined to God in Christ. So the moment we believe in Jesus as the Savior, we are also joined to other people that believe in Jesus as their Savior spiritually, mystically, and really. And this particular passage that we're looking at in the book of Acts is an expression of that. And so the moment we believe, we are joined, if I could use it, to not only to Christ, but also to Christ's church. And when I put it that way, I don't mean a particular local, visible church. I mean his invisible church the moment that we believe we are joined to Christ as our head and we're also by the Holy Spirit joined to his body which is the church. Our secondary standard chapter 25 has a section on the church and the first paragraph deals with the invisible church. It doesn't mean that it's a cloud. It just means all of those elect believers throughout the world that truly believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior we are joined to them. They are joined to us and we are joined to them. And here's the thing. As different as those people may be in non-religious things, amount of melanin, amount of education, parentage, all of those kind of things, as different as they are, the moment they are joined to Christ, we are all joined to one another. in, irrespective of those differences, we are one body under one head. You don't have to watch the news very long. Um, apart from God in Christ, human beings are not very n- nice. And but for the restraining power of, of God in his providence, people would destroy one another 10 times over, but for the providence of God. I've mentioned this probably ad nauseum. George Whitfield, unconverted man, is half a beast and half a devil. And they're doing the work of their father, their spiritual father, the devil. And were it not, for the restraining providence of Almighty God, people would kill people and stack them like cordwood. Turn on the news. So when are we going to have an actual, we're having a proxy war with Russia. When are we going to have a real war with Russia? There was a general this week that talked about in 2025, we're going to fight China. Talked about a real shooting war with China. Am I not right with that? I'm right with that. You're going to fight Russia and you're going to fight China. Look at the world. Look at the poor. They beat that poor man to death. Was it California? Look at, look at that. And turn on the news. And you think, what is this? This one's against that one. This one's against that one. Beloved, do you know where the answer is? Do you know where the only answer, the only answer? Right there. Right there, Jesus is the answer. We have the answer. We 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 are the community that has. We Christ is the answer. He joins us back to God, and that He joins us to one another as brothers and sisters. If you tell me, I know gobs of Christians. I'm going to bring me those Christians. They need to be rebuked. They need to hear this. We're trying to one another. There are a couple of things that we see. We there are some things that we have in common that the text will teach us, as I I hope to show. All of these these Jews have been scattered in the in the persecution. These believing Jews from the unbelieving Jews have chased the believing Jews out of Jerusalem. Acts eight, Acts Acts nine, and everywhere the believing Jews go. Some of them are preaching only to Jews, but they're scattering to Jesus, uh, telling the word of Jesus. And then some other uh, stout-hearted believers are, are starting to tell Gentiles. But they're spreading Jesus everywhere they go. What are they spreading? Are they spreading political view, cultural? I have my political view. I have my cultural view. You can line your birdcage with it. I am clueless. I do I have my views. Everybody has their views, right? What are they spreading? They're spreading Jesus, is what the text earlier tells us. They go everywhere preaching Jesus. And what happens when they preach Jesus? God makes what kind of folk with that? Christians. And then these Christians love other Christians. So you think, well, Pastor, you think we really have the answer? Yeah, yeah, I know for a fact we have the answer. And the answer is Christ. And the answer is only going to be given by people that love Christ to other people that either hate Christ and we want them to love Christ and be our brothers and sisters. Or to those who already are, brothers and sisters. So <clears throat> we're joined to one another. The Bible teaches us that the moment we believe in Christ and join to him, we are also, mystically, as I say, joined to other true believers and we become His, w- how many bodies does Jesus have? One. Now, this was the caricature that my dad, when my, my dad was alive, I used to live in Tallahassee. He flew over Tallahassee w- one time and he came to the house and they were always, he was always giving me a zing about leaving the Catholic Church it was always a zing and so he said hey John and my dad was from this city and I said what is it dad he said you know I flew over Tallahassee and there's like 500 churches <laughs> you Protestants take a coffee pot and start a church like Heinz has pickles yeah that's pretty sad it is but even though we differ and you dunk, I say tomato, tomato, you're a big ender, I'm a little ender. Beloved, I'm gonna ask you a question. Every real believer, what is your hope in life and death? Real believer. I don't care if you dunk, I don't care if you do one of these. What is your hope in life and death? Christ. He purchased me with his precious blood. He's the that's that's the one body. Whether you're a Baptist, a dispensational, covenantal, reformed, yada, 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 yada. We're one body. And I I promise I'm not playing fast and loose with this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Christ is the head. We are the body. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 10? Talking, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. What are all these believers in Judea, and Antioch, what are they all called? What does the text tell us they're called? They're all called what? Christians. One word, Christian. Because there's one church, mystical church. Invisible. Does that make sense? So, all of Baptist, my son, when he was a young guy, he was the president of the Young Republicans Club. And he went for a meeting there. And he came and he said, Dad, if you weren't the pastor here, I'd go to that church. (laughs) Because they did some other things. We could fit in their closet. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They preach the gospel. One body, one, one Christ, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. That's what this text is teaching us. That's what our country needs. That's what our homes need. That's what our churches need. God likens the union that we have with Christ and thus we're going to have with one another, he likens it to a marriage union. I've studied this one until I'm blue in the face. What I'll pitch this out there. You don't have to answer me, but you you cogitate on this one. What does one flesh mean? And the two shall become one flesh. Not Genesis one flesh, but the the marriage. What is one flesh in marriage? If you know the answer, you tell me later it's not it's it's not the intimacy i guarantee you it's not so if you're thinking into intimacy it's not cats are intimate it's not one flesh uh, so what is the one flesh let, let me read something to you for the husband is the head of the wife christ is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body one but as the church is subject to christ so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything husbands love your wife as christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Our union with Jesus is not a physical union. It's spiritual. Our union with other Christians is not specifically a a physical union. It's a spiritual union. God the Holy Spirit is teaching us as believers to value spiritual things more than we value temporal things. I've said this before. If I take a stopwatch to your thoughts during the week, and just, if I if I quantify, calculate how much you think about temporal, earthly things, and then I give it a number. And I quantify or calculate how much you think of God and Christ and heavenly things, and I give that a number. How much do you think about stuff that's going to burn... How much do you think about it? What is it going to be like? Won't it be wonderful when we're there? How much? Who you, what side do you think is going to win? God wants his professing believers to value spiritual, soul, soulish, eternal things more than we do this. More than we do this. In the land of my birth, everybody was like, are you Irish? I'm three quarters Irish, a quarter German German. If you're Irish in the in the family I grew up in, you go up many notches. The further away from Ireland you, you go, you go down many notches. Look at he's shaking his head. You go down. If you're Irish as Patty's pig, you go up. What is that? We all do it. I mean, if you're Swiss, Swiss Swedish, German, we all do it. What is that compared to this? We're joined to Christ. We're joined to the body of Christ. We're various members of one body. The Bible says it. That's this. This is the communion of the saints. We need. This is one of the benefits of coming to worship. Like during the week, you're just hearing, go to school, make money, keep your wife and your husband glued together, do whatever, watch stupid videos all day long. And in in the church, we hear that, that we're one. We're Christians. So we have a common life. The other thing is, we have a common name. We're all, as I've said, called Christians. Notice that these believers are not called, and I don't mean to be inflammatory, um, this is going to aid in their, um, the friendship they enjoy with one another, even though this, the, the differences. They're all equally called Christians, Notice that they're not hyphenated Christians. Now, is it legitimate to say Protestant Christian, Reformed Christian, Presbyterian Christian, such and so and such and so and such and so? I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say no. If we do it rightly, it's a yes. If we do it wrongly, it's a no. And what do I mean by doing it rightly? If we hold to those other distinctives because we honestly believe that the Bible teaches these things... And we don't place the hyphen over Jesus. That's right. And I think because we, we, don't, we all have different understanding, it allows us to be honest with our Christian faith before we go to heaven. But if we hold those hyphenated things above Christ and against Christ's people, then we're wrong. What do I mean by that? These people are not called black Christians or white Christians. They're not called poor Christians or rich Christians learned or unlearned they're not called Presbyterians they're not called Reformed they're not called Baptists they're not called Episcopalian what are they called? Christians see now I probably just lost half the people in the room because we like those hyphens we like those hyphens I didn't just fall off the turnip truck I am a big ender you are a little ender Gulliver's Travels I like the big enders I don't like the little enders that's sin. The Bible is teaching us here that we all have the same last name for all Christians. Every lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter those other distinctives, we all have the same last name, spiritually speaking. Can I ask you a question? Do you really believe that? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that a brother or a sister who believes in Jesus who looks totally different than you in Christ they're really your brother and sister and that you love them like love them, love them you know what I mean by that we don't say love you man (laughs) I can't stand you but love you man this is love you, love you the same family family of God That's why I mention the poor guy they beat to death. This country, we have, unbelievers should be able to look at a believer. They should be. And they should see believers loving other believers like they're their brothers or sisters. They They should see it. And they should hear it not just with our confession, hey brother, hey sister, but they should see it with what Paul and Barnabas and then the other Christians do. They help them. They give to them. Let's say you have a a blood brother or a blood sister, and they don't have any food to eat, and you're their brother or their sister. What are you going to do for them? I have two sisters. If all of a sudden they don't have a house, where are they living? At my house. Why? Because they're my blood Well, they're unbelievers. They're my blood. They're living at the house. Your son, your daughter, they go off the reservation. I'm not supposed to say that anymore. They go off the rails. I I got a call playing with my grandson, and I got rebuked. And I was sufficiently rebuked, but I forgot. You have a son or a daughter. They're goofy as the day is long. And they call you and say, Mom, Dad, I lost my job. You're not going to feed them? You're not going to come to their aid? What kind of mother or father are you? We love them. And that's what happens. They have a common life, they have a common name. And they act like it. James talks about faith without works is what kind of faith? It's dead faith. James 2 14 through 26. I didn't just lose my Protestantism, I promise you. The works are not in addition to our justification. It's it's a a reflection of that we have been justified, that our faith is real. Talk is cheap. I can train anybody in the world to give me a a classic profession of faith, and to and to tell me and I'm reformed. I vote Republican. And look at me. I'm a lawyer. I'm giving you. I led a guy into the church. I voted yes, and not this church and another church. I listened to a guy's testimony and he did that. I'm a Christian. I became reformed. I love R.C. Sproul. I'm a a staunch conservative Republican and I'm a lawyer. And the elders were salivating over this guy. And they, they instantly joined. Fast forward two years. He gets married to a cute little reform girl after his profession. He meets with a session and says, hey, you know that stuff I told you about Jesus and being a Republican? I'm a Republican. I just don't believe in Jesus. I did it to marry her. And I listened to him. And I believed him. Beloved, it it is this union with Christ, this union with another one. It's not those other things. I don't know how to impress it enough. It's not those other things. And our deeds, with what we see with Paul and Barnabas, are an expression of our true faith. The Bible says, you will know them by their what? by their fruits people don't really care how much you know you've heard this saying they only really care if you love them and then if you know something they're going to listen to you faith without works is dead faith it's useless a profession of faith in Jesus that looks at a suffering brother or sister and we have a boatload of money or we have a, a can of beans and we walk away and say be warm and felt well fed that's dead faith that kind of love is hypocrisy love you man just not going to help you man that's hypocritical there will be many people on the last day and Jesus they're going to stand before Jesus and they're going to say what Lord Lord didn't I make an orthodox profession of faith and what will he say I never knew you you didn't give me a cup of cold water you didn't go visit me in prison you weren't kind to me when I was sick And to the believer, the true believer, he will say, What? I saw what you did there. You went and taught those brothers and sisters the Lord for my love. I saw what you did there. You had an extra can of food and you sent it to your hungry brothers and sisters. And then what will he say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Beloved, we have not been saved so that we will serve, we have been saved by God's grace unto service it was the love of God that prompted the Father to send the Son and die for us our our motive to love other people especially other Christians is love and if you you say to me well I, I lack love for other Christians let's say you do which is probably most of us I can help with that. If you want one motivating factor to help you love other believers, particularly other believers that you think you really don't love because they're different than you, try this. What do you think of most? They're called here Christians, these people. What's the center of your Christian religion? What is it? Whatever you think about most, where your heart is, that's the center, the focus of your Christian faith. What do you think about most? Do you think most about Christ? Do you think about the hatred of your sin and how Christ saves you from your sins? Is it Christ? Is it Christ's word? Is it praying to God in Christ? Is it hearing from God in Christ in His word? Does Christ fill your thoughts? Do you love people, Christians, because Christ loves them? Or... Is the center of your religion something else? You you know it. I don't know it. I talked about the hyphen. I really am Reformed. I really am a Calvinist. I really am Westminsterian. Calvin didn't die for your sins, Christ did. Elections, not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. What's the focus? We will grow in our love for other people the more we grow in our love for Jesus Christ. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.